As a quick disclaimer, the story this time is creepy and fairly violent. As usual, it's not too graphic, but it's kind of scary and maybe wouldn't be great for children. This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's a story and a creature from Korean folklore. I don't want to give too much away, but you'll see why liver might actually be a really healthy addition to your diet. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a Japanese creature who will stop you from robbing temples by shooting its eyes at you. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 20, Prayers. This is a podcast where I tell stories that have shaped cultures throughout history. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. Today's a story about a Korean creature, and I'll go into much more detail about it on the other side of the show, because I don't want to ruin the main story for today, so I'm just going to get started. A wealthy man had three sons, but no daughter. He prayed at the temples and consulted with fortune tellers, and finally, his wife became pregnant. She gave birth to a little girl, and the father was beaming. Finally, he had a daughter. They lived near the forest, and when the girl was of a certain age, some stories say six, others fifteen, she would go looking for mushrooms by herself in the woods. She left one morning, and her family thought nothing of it until evening. When she still hadn't come home, the father was worried, and he organized a search party immediately. He must find his young girl before it got dark. He feared the worst. Riding out into the forest, the father looked through all the usual spots the girl used when looking for mushrooms, but he didn't find anything. He went farther. He was on a horse, and he couldn't have imagined that she went this far. He came to a valley, and it would have been nearly a day's walk at this point. Then, he saw her. Far off, in the haze of the twilight, was the form of a little girl standing there. She was twitching and acting odd. Her father called to her, and she froze. He called to her again, saying her name, saying he sees her there in the mist. He's coming on his horse. The girl just stands there. The wealthy man finally comes up to his daughter and relaxes. It's her. She's eyeing him suspiciously, but he says she's safe now. Let's go back to the farm. Everyone's looking for her. Her lips curl up into a smile. She says she's so happy that he found her. She had gotten lost, and she didn't think she would have been able to find her way back to the estate. She was safe now, he said. Just don't go out this far again, okay? She nodded. As he helped her onto the horse, he asked about the mushrooms. Hmm? The girl said. The mushrooms? Wasn't that what she was doing all the way out here? Oh, yeah, the girl said. She got scared and dropped them somewhere in the valley. She was just ashamed to admit it. The father chuckled. It's okay. At least we didn't lose you out here too, he said, wrapping an arm around her and holding her close on the trip back to the estate. Everyone was happy to see the girl, who was exhausted after her day in the forest. She ate and went straight to bed. Days passed, and her three older brothers noticed a change in the girl. No longer annoying and wanting to play all the time, she kept to herself now, she was quiet and contemplative, and watching, always watching. More time passed, and life got back to normal, and then something odd happened. The family and all the farmhands were awakened in the middle of the night by a bellowing. 
It was coming from the barn. The father and his oldest son got up and ran out as the sound got quieter and weaker. Lantern in hand, they saw it. On her side in the barn was one of their larger cows. The light of the lantern reflected off the blood all over the hay, and the dirt was already sucking up the excess. It was dead, and there was a hole ripped in its side. The place had been locked up. Who had gotten in here, and why had they just killed a cow and left? It didn't make any sense. When they returned to the house, they informed the rest of the family what had happened, and everyone went back to bed for the few hours that remained before dawn. Not again, the father thought as he rushed from his bed the next night. He and his three sons pushed open the door to see another cow, dead in the exact same way as the first, on its side in the barn. The same thing happened the next night, and the next. The father was wealthy, and the family could afford to lose one or two cows, maybe three, but now it could start to affect his family's standing and future. He racked his brain. He didn't have any enemies, at least not ones that would do anything like this. He had to figure out what was happening. That's when his oldest son volunteered to sit out in the barn that night and to see who was doing this. The father reluctantly agreed, but told him to stay hidden. This person or thing or whatever was doing this could be dangerous, and the boy was the heir. The oldest sat in the barn for hours that night, in the darkness, eyes drooping, but he had to stay awake. Luckily, he didn't need to resort to Prince Ivan measures of stabbing himself in the leg to stay awake, because he heard something in the darkness. He crept down to a stall and heard whispering. Crouched behind a barrel, he could see it. Or her. It was his sister. At least it looked like her in the darkness of the stables. She was whispering to a cow and stroking its side. He almost emerged. Something told him to wait. Then, she stopped stroking the cow and ducked down to get something. He could see her scooping oil, sesame oil from the smell of it, and rubbing it all over her hands and forearms. What was she even... Oh no, the son said to himself. The girl stood at the side of the cow and, with the power of someone much larger than a six-year-old, took both of her hands and put them through the side of the cow. Pure chaos ensued as the cow shrieked, and the brother watched in horror as the form he thought was his sister tore into this thing, fishing around. It was still bellowing and trying to get away, but she stopped when she found what she was looking for. The bellowing and the struggle became weaker, and the brother heard the door of the barn open, and his eyes shot right to the lantern of his father coming in. Good, he would see. When he looked back, though, the girl with her bloody face devouring the liver of the cow was gone and the animal was dead seated in the house later that night the father was shaking his head it was impossible he told his son for the eighth time the son had obviously fallen asleep and dreamed the whole thing and no they didn't need to go to the sister's room how could his son keep up this ridiculous lie the son refused to say it wasn't the sister and the father became more and more angry that the son would even imply that the sister was murdering the cows and stealing their organs. The son said that the girl was obviously a demon. The son said that something must be done about her, and his hand rested ominously on his sword. What was the matter with the father? Couldn't he see? It escalated until it became so heated that the father said if the son persisted with this hateful lie, he wouldn't be welcome in the house anymore. 
he would be disinherited. The son said that he saw what he saw, and if the father was too blinded by his devotion to the girl, then he deserved what he got. Disinherited? If the father didn't do something about this, then there would be nothing left to inherit. The son said that the father had to admit that the girl had been different since the day she'd been lost in the woods, but he refused to do even this much. The father just screamed at him to get out. He wouldn't hear this. The oldest son could consider himself disinherited. The son gathered up his things and left that very night. The father sought out the second son that day. It doesn't matter what happened to your brother, he said. He needed the second son to do something. The second son kept watch that night and saw the exact same thing as the first son. He thought he saw the sister kill the cow and then she disappeared as soon as the father came in. Once again, the father refused to believe it and he and the son got in a shouting match and he disinherited the second son as well. Before going back to bed, the father stopped by his daughter's room. The young girl was sleeping peacefully with no trace of blood or anything on her. The two oldest brothers were just jealous, the father told himself. The next night, he asked the third brother to stay and watch. The third brother saw exactly what the other two had seen, but he quickly thought about it. They had been cast out and disinherited. They probably saw it too and told the father, which meant the youngest couldn't say anything. Well, the father asked, what was it? The son told him it was some animal, a wolf maybe? That's what was getting in and killing the cows. Did you happen to see your sister at all? The father asked. Well, yes, the youngest son said, and saw his father's jaw clench. She got up to go to the outhouse, but she wasn't anywhere close to the barn. The father breathed a sigh of relief and relaxed. His other sons were just jealous. He told the youngest that he was now the heir to the whole estate and would take everything over once the father had gone on to his ancestors. The other two brothers had met up with each other on the road. Disinherited and without any funds to their name, they fell to begging on the streets. Eventually they heard of a Buddhist temple on a nearby mountain and went there seeking refuge and to become priests. They sat before a priest and he listened to their entire story of their sister and the father. He thought a long time and then he allowed them to stay. They spent nearly a year there under the instruction of the priest until one day the older brother found the younger one they talked and a day didn't pass for either of them without thinking of home their parents their brother and the strangeness surrounding their sister they both agreed they had to go back they went in front of the priest who reached behind him and grabbed three vials sending them down in front of the brothers we need to go back home the brothers said the priest nodded. I know, he said, and you'll need these. The oldest brother took them and put them on his robe. Why will we need these? There's something evil plaguing your family, the priest said. When the time comes to use them, he said, I'm sure you'll know. And he was staring into the eyes of the oldest brother. Be careful with your sister, though, he said. The priest knew there was a demon there, and based on what they had told him about his sister, it could be her. But that's all he knew. The brothers left the priest in the temple that day. 
Riding home took them nearly a week, and they approached the estate in the evening. It was different. It had only been a year, but the place looked abandoned. Walking up, they saw littering the field the corpses of all the livestock. They were nearly all long dead, and just rotted skeletons at this point. The weeds in the brush were overgrown. The stench of death permeated everything. What had happened? Then they saw her, in the haze of the twilight, standing at the door of the estate, watching them. When they got close enough to see it was their sister, she collapsed, sobbing. The youngest brother ran to her. They were dead. All dead, she said. The brothers helped the sister inside. She was ragged and hungry and scared, and she didn't look at all like a demon that the monk had warned them about. She told them everything. A creature had been coming in the night, pretending to be members of the family. At first it came for the livestock, but once all those were dead, it began coming for the family members. First the youngest son was found after he had gone out to the outhouse one night. Then it got the mother. The father had become despondent and sent all the workers away. He had resigned himself to whatever was cursing them. The girl had figured out too late that it only attacked at night, and it couldn't come into the house. And just last night it got the father. She had spent the day digging a hole to bury him. She couldn't just let him lie there in the road. It was then the eldest brother looked out to see the sun dip below the horizon. He tried to pick up the girl to tell her that they needed to go right now to get far away from this place. But she refused. The sun had set. They had to stay there for the night. Okay, the oldest brother said, assessing the situation. It couldn't come in. They were safe. The monk had been wrong about the girl, obviously, so they just had to stay here one night, and then they would leave this place and never look back. The girl smiled, and the middle son nodded hesitantly. They could do this. They could stay one night. The sister got up and made everyone dinner, and they were surprised by how good it was. The oldest brother took a sip of the wine his sister had given him. The meat was so good and fresh, despite the livestock having been killed by the creature fur. Wait. His eyes shot to his sister, who took his accusing glance with a sly smile. He made to get up and run, but his body wasn't responding to him. He tried to talk, but his face felt heavy. His whole body began to wobble, and then he crashed to the floor, and everything went black. The eldest brother heard chewing. His brother must be awake and eating. The monk won't be too happy about that. It was only a matter of time until he discovered the boy squirreling away food, and then they would be back on the streets. They couldn't go back to the streets. The oldest brother's eyes slowly opened. No... No, that wasn't right. They weren't in their chamber at the monastery. They had left. A few days ago. They had come... Home. And then everything snapped into place. He looked over to see his sister hunched over his brother. Tearing at him. Eating his liver. He was dead, of course. And the oldest brother gasped. The sister slowly turned to face him. Her eyes seemed to glow yellow. Awake, huh? She said. You always were the strong one. If the father had been as strong as his son, the girl continued, he would have sent her away a long time ago. If he had been half as strong as his daughter the day she got lost in the woods, 
his family would still be alive. The oldest brother was confused. His daughter? She was his daughter. Oh, the girl said. That's right. You still think I'm her. She smirked, and then she transformed into a large fox with nine tails. She took a few more bites of the brother's liver and explained. When I found your sister lost in the forest, the fox demon said, I knew I had found a way. She was strong for girl of six, and, oh, she fought. But she fell. I took her form, and then, when I saw how much your fool of a father was devoted to her, I knew I could do whatever I wanted here. He couldn't bring himself to suspect his little girl, and especially not to do what was necessary. He watched as his livelihood and his family rotted in front of him. Now, I'm almost human. I just need to eat one more liver, and I'll be there. I've worked hundreds of years for this moment, and you, she said to the other brother, will help me achieve it. As a quick aside, the sister is a kumiho, and she's a Korean fox demon, and I'll go more into detail about it at the end. But they have to eat a number of livers in a number of years. Some say a thousand livers in the span of a thousand years, and then they can become human. If the creature doesn't, then it will turn into bubbles and cease to exist. Back to the story. The fox went back and finished the brother's liver. She turned back around. Now then, she said, I'm just going to... But the room was empty. Unfortunately for her, she didn't catch herself monologuing, and she had given the older brother just enough time for the sedative to wear off, enough for him to crawl out to his horse. She looked and saw him struggling to pull himself up. He slapped it, and it was spurred onto a gallop before he was even on it. Once he was on it, he relaxed. He was away. He had survived. But then he heard something behind him. A snapping. The fox was running along, almost as fast as a horse in full gallop. She was gaining on him. She was so graceful that she seemed to float above the ground, and at her speed, she would catch him soon. The vials. The oldest son remembered them, and he reached inside his cloak. If there was a time to use the vials the priest had given him, this was it. He pulled the green one out and threw it. It shattered on the road behind him, and, in the path of the fox, brambles or thorny vines shot up and intertwined in the way, creating a dense mass in front of the fox. He saw her dive and disappear into the brambles, and he galloped on until the thorns were a distant sight. He relaxed. She was trapped there, likely bleeding to death. Then, he saw faint movement in the brambles, and a large fox pushing aside the vines. She was scraped and bloody, but this was her chance to become human. She would catch him, and, for all the trouble, she would make him feel it as she ate his liver. The brother felt for the next file. It was blue. The foxes had already started running after him again, and he hoped this would work. He threw it with all of his might, and it smashed on the road just in front of the fox. A wave of water exploded from the vial, and the ground sunk. He galloped on, but the horse panicked and slowed as he found himself wading at the edge of a large lake. It had swallowed up the fields, the brambles, and most of the road between the brother and the house. And, of course, the fox as well. He rode to put enough distance between him and the lake, and saw something float to the surface. It was the body of his little sister, face down in the water. He had done it. He looked down and sighed. 
It was finally over. He looked back to her, and the girl was gone. He squinted, and... No, nothing. He had just seen the drowned girl floating there. What had happened? Then, he saw something gliding underneath the water, and, in darkness, he could see the long, sloping body of the fox swimming like an eel toward him. Quickly. He spurred his horse on. It continued. He was once again at a gallop, and the fox, bleeding and wet, was bounding after it once again. He fished for the last file and strained for it, his fingertips grazing it, but he couldn't quite get it. The comijo, the fox demon, was nearly on him now, and he could see the hunger in her cunning, yellow eyes. Finally, he found the last vial, a red one, and flung it backwards blindly. He turned around to see the glass break between the eyes of the beast and erupt into a massive fireball that, had he not been at full gallop, would have consumed him and his horse. He lost sight of it for an instant, and all he could see was a wall of flame. Then it cleared, but the ground and field were still ablaze. There, in the middle, he saw a flaming form struggle to four legs, and then collapse. The fire kept burning, and the creature didn't get up again. The oldest son watched through the night as it burned in front of him, and the next morning, he walked the ground, still smoldering from the magical fire, to find the ashes of the beast. He kicked them, and they crumbled to dust, which was taken away on the wind. As a very quick aside, a couple translations of the fox turning into a thousand mosquitoes at the end, and flying off, saying that's why foxes and mosquitoes hate open flames to this day. That is an ending, but I didn't think the mythic nature of it really fit with the rest of the story, so I didn't use it. Anyway, the son also buried his father, who he found in one of the back rooms. He had made the connection at dinner the night before, but it was confirmed when he saw several chunks of flesh were missing from his father's body. He shuddered, probably threw up, and he put the thought out of his head. He also buried his brother, who had come back with him. With a heavy, melancholy heart, he set to work putting his family's estate right again. And though he was constantly surrounded by workers, he was alone, never really trusting anyone again. Every year, on his sister's birthday, he would go to the edge of the forest where the fox had killed her long ago. He would light a candle and say prayers for the innocent young girl that he had never really known. This is just one story of the Kamiho, and there are several variations on this story in specific and on the creature in general. I'll start with the creature in general and then go into this story in particular, because there's a lot of meaning to unpack here. The Kamiho is, as you know now, a fox creature. Fox creatures are very prevalent in folklore, and specifically Asian folklore, though the Korean Kamiho is lacking the shades of grey that the other ones, such as the Japanese Kitsune or the Chinese creature possess, because the Korean version is nearly always evil. Like a lot of things in folklore, there's no one main version of it. There are multiple explanations as to what it is and how it can become human. Also, my understanding of the Kamiho is that it's like a werewolf or a vampire, which humans, like me, don't really see an issue with being able to shapeshift into a supernatural fox creature. To me, it kind of seems fun, like a superpower. 
To the creature though, it's a hateful and horrible existence, and the motivation for the creature in more than a few stories I read were to become human. There's the 1,000 livers and 1,000 years that we talked about in the story, and some places say that they must all be human livers, and still others say that they must be men's livers. There are also some other ways that they can become human. They're nonviolent, and they include it refraining from killing humans for a thousand days, relying on a human who has discovered its true nature, not telling anyone for ten years, or helping anyone in need, and not showing the fox form to a human for a hundred days. Like I said, these are just broad categories, and there are a lot of variations on each one. Like there are a lot of variations just for the Korean version of the creature, there are significant variations in the fox across cultures. Many societies have folklore foxes, but the Korean, Chinese, and Japanese creatures are more alike than less. The Chinese and Japanese creatures are more ambiguous and not always evil, though the Chinese fox creature's name is sometimes used as a substitute for a homewrecker. The Korean creature can sometimes take the form of a male, but it's almost always a female. I haven't seen the adaptations, but apparently the Kamiho has made a resurgence in popular culture in the past 5 or 10 years as the subject of Korean TV shows. Of the folklore stories, the story I told today is perhaps the most famous, and I found it to be the most surprising and interesting, but others follow a similar theme. One story has a poor salt peddler finding a fox creature in the forest grinding a skull down until it fits snugly on the thing's head. When it does, it instantly transforms into a crone who hobbles to a nearby village. As it turns out, she is a renowned medicine woman and a hermit who would heal an important local man. The salt peddler follows her, keeps quiet about it, and is permitted to stay in the sick man's estate as well. That night, he hears the sounds of a man struggling, and the people won't let him in the room, saying that the famous medicine woman is in with him, and they're not to be disturbed. He breaks in and sees the woman as she's trying to murder him and eat his liver. He bashes her over the head so much that the skull falls off, and she's revealed to be a kumiho. The fox demon is killed, and the salt peddler is given a title and lands. One more story has to do with another daughter that was replaced, and I'll just talk about it quickly. There was a beautiful 16-year-old girl who had many suitors coming to her house. As is probably rare for suitors coming to a young girl's house, none of them came out alive. The house became known as haunted, and no one would go near it. As an aside, I don't know how multiple murders can have taken place in a house, and it just becomes the spooky house down the block. But anyway, the girl lives there with her father, and one day a brave man comes to call. He bargains with the father that if the young man can solve his multiple murder problem, he gets the daughter. The father says absolutely, and the man stays the night. What follows is a fairly suggestive dreamscape where a beautiful young woman comes out and attempts to seduce the young man on a bridal bed in a fabulous dream palace. While kissing, he notices that her tongue feels different and he bites it off, killing the girl and watching her transform in the dream into a dead Kumiho. In many of the Kumiho stories, there's always something indelibly fox-like in the woman that's revealed. Either a tongue, like here, or the tails come out. Or there's just a scent that the man's dog picks up, and then attacks the fox creature. Anyway, back to the summary. He wakes, and finds the beautiful young girl on the floor of his bedchamber, and she relates an incredibly sad tale. The older man, the father, found a girl in a field, nearly dead, and brought her back home. She's not actually his daughter, just FYI, to make the ensuing relationship significantly less disgusting. Well, the older man strikes up a relationship with his beautiful young ward, and his wife is less than pleased about this. When she finds out, she drags the girl out into the yard and has her hanged. 
The older man is sick with grief, and the wife is mournful because not only did her husband have an affair, but a young girl is hanging in the courtyard because of it. The wife takes ill with grief and dies. After the wife is dead, the young woman, dead and hanging, drops down and finds that she's been reincarnated as Kumiho, the fox demon. She wanted nothing more than to avenge herself on the wife, but she was dead, so the fox took out her rage on the daughter and killed her. She then took the place of the daughter, unbeknownst to the father, and remember this is the daughter of the man she used to love, and now she's posing as the girl, which is more than a little weird. At the end of the story, the young man binds and kills the girl because she's killed so many people, and the father barges in, but the young man reveals the fox by tearing off her clothes to show the fox body, something common in the Kamiho stories. He takes her up on the mountain and seals her body in a cave. If you see some problematic depictions of women in the story, that leads me to a central theme in stories of the fox demon. Okay, so here's what I'm going to talk about today's story. I thought the story today was fantastic. It had mystery, suspense, horror, and resolution, which alone is a lot to ask from some stories from folklore. That being said, the meaning behind this story, and the Kamiho in general, is less than ideal. Let me say there's one big caveat when talking about the meaning of these stories. Like most written works, and especially those in folklore, we can't say definitively what it means. We can make arguments about what different things in the text are saying, look for evidence in the text, and write papers and articles, and that's what English professors and English majors do. Basically, when I talk about what a story means, there's a giant asterisk on the sentence that says this is based on an interpretation of the text. It's not definitive, and it's open to debate and revision. The message of this particular story, according to some interpretations, is that it's a cautionary tale of wanting a female child. The story pits our protagonist, the eldest son and heir, against the girl, who brings the family to ruin because her father keeps her. The message, according to one folklorist, is clear. To irrationally keep a daughter at the expense of your sons is to bring ruin on the family. The girl literally destroys the family, and it's up to the eldest son to restore the order of patriarchy by killing her. It's easy to look at the main story from a folklore perspective and say that the father was foolish and think that he should have recognized that the girl was evil. But really, what would you do? If your son came to you and said, hey, mom or dad, despite no physical evidence to support this, my little sister is a demon and we must destroy her, would you say, okay, glad we have that problem solved, let's go get some torches? Or would you say, no, that's insane? As readers or listeners, we can be a little genre savvy because we know that this is a story from folklore where weird stuff happens all the time. I think that the real life rational response though is to say, no, we aren't going to kill your six-year-old sister. Let's look for a different solution to this problem. In that light, the casting out of the sons kind of makes sense. If your two oldest sons fervently believe your daughter is a demon and have voiced, or at least implied, violent intent, it doesn't make sense to keep them in the same house as the young girl. And you aren't going to cast out the six-year-old who hasn't done anything wrong. In this context, the father's choice, while difficult, is kind of admirable. That being said, I can understand criticisms of the father. In many versions, the sons don't threaten violence, and he's so mad at them for implying his little girl can be evil that he casts them out. Regardless, if all your livestock and all your family are dying, and your sons have believed something so fervently that they would leave their inheritance, maybe it's worth looking into the possibility that your daughter is a fox demon a little bit further. 
A central theme of many of the Kamiho stories are the evil of female desires and seduction, and of the destructive power of female sexuality, as the last story I told today conveys. In all the stories I've told today, the sly female fox brought evil and destruction on the often powerful males in the story. She is literally a man-eater who must trick men in order to become human. Mentioned in many of these interpretations is the role Confucianism has played in Korean society and its influence on gender roles. In incredibly brief terms, Confucianism is a philosophical system, and it apparently has some opinions on the roles of women in society. And according to a number of interpretations, the subtext of today's stories are a reflection of that Confucian opinion. It's honestly way beyond the scope of this podcast, and beyond my expertise to go into detail on the influence of Confucian philosophy on the roles of women in early modern Korean folklore. If someone with a background in that area would like to help me out on this, please let me know. That's it for this week. Next week, it's the listener-requested and Twitter-poll-winning story of the Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen. Or, if you have young children, you probably know its recent movie adaptation, Frozen, much, much better. The original includes far less singing and much more kidnapping and murder. I want to say thanks to some new members on the site. So thank you to Lucy, Dave, Melissa, Matthew, Daniel, Kelsey, Marco, Fiona, David, Dominic, Laura, Martin, Josephine, Sandra, Octavia, Phoebe, Matt, Brian, Laura, Els, Carla, Kirsten, Alex, Emma, Micha, Jared, Rena, and Xavier for becoming members on the site in December. Really, thank you so much. I am beyond grateful, and you're a huge help to keep this podcast going. And yes, there's a membership thing on the site. If you want to help support the show, you can do so for less than $5 per month. That's less than the price of two cans of Surge Soda on eBay. That soda from the 90s, which was not amazing at the time, so I can't imagine what it would be like nearly 20 years on. The membership includes extra episodes, a monthly fairy tale Friday, ebooks, and more. And if you're interested, you can check it out at support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the Hayakume from Japanese folklore. And once again, my pronunciation is probably not correct. The name means 100 eyes, and it's literally covered in 100 eyes, and almost nothing else. They're about the size of a normal human, and when they blink and all the eyes are closed for a moment, they look like just a fleshy mound. Some places see the eyes are yellow, like a fox, and they can see astoundingly well in the nighttime, when this creature is the most active. If you're hanging around an old temple at night, clearly up to no good, one of the eyes will detach, fly towards you, and stick to you. It will then stay on you as long as you're in the area to make sure you don't steal anything from the temple. These things aren't really violent, but they will jump out at you, using their appearance to frighten people. Personally, I wouldn't even need to wait that long. As soon as an eyeball shot out of the darkness, stuck to me, and was clearly watching me, I would get as far away from the temple as possible. Like I said, it's active during the night, but hardly comes out during the day, preferring to stay indoors where it's dark. The eyes, which can spot thieves in the thickest of darkness, are way, way too sensitive for sunlight. If you've ever looked at the sun, you can attest to how annoying that can be, but imagine it a hundredfold and all over your body. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to other music I used are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. 